here, and we're so grateful that we drove all the way up here and didn't have any events this morning. Uh, <laughs> we have uh, we have uh, had some events coming up here the last the last uh, few times we've come, and it was nice to just get in the car and drive up here and, and, and get here, and uh, early uh, instead of walking in just in time to preach. We have a nation that's in turmoil <clears throat> in any, anything that you can imagine. And uh, we, we just scramble all over the place trying to figure out how in the world to, uh, to get things back. Christians in the Western world have had a very unique uh, situation in the last 300 years in that we have been in the driver's seat. Uh, Christian, Christian principles, uh, Christian laws, and so on and so forth have been, have been uh, certainly in our country and, and really in, in all the Western world have been enacted into, into law. And, and, the, and, the, uh, and the wonderful thing is that we have gotten very used to and very comfortable with being in a situation where not only are we not persecuted, but we get to we get to deal with those that don't agree with us, and uh, those who don't uh, uh, who don't uh, abide by God's law. We our laws are in place to where we deal with it, but we're losing that. It's slipping away. It's slipping away very rapidly. And I'm going to suggest to you that um, that as we as we scramble, Christians are faced with a. A conundrum. How do, and the difficulty is is the focus of 21st century Christianity seems to be on how do we keep what we have had for the three, for last 300 years? How, how how do we how do we hang on to this? The last uh, last week, my wife and I watched a uh, a documentary. Uh, on, on a ministry that we were very deeply involved with at one time, uh, a homeschool ministry that uh, uh, has been international in its scope. Uh, we were one of the 102 original families in that program, and uh, we had an opportunity to, to be the, the pilot, one of the pilot families, and, and uh, we thought we had shot the big one when we got involved with that. After a couple of years, we began to realize maybe this isn't all we thought it was, and uh, and we bailed out. And over the years, things have happened that that have been uh, have been uh, frightening and and just sickening, to be very honest with you. A few years after uh, we got out, our middle son had grown up, and we had just moved to Logansport, Indiana, and a family contacted us. And found out about our, our background in, the, in this organization, and they were involved in a ministry called Character First, and they were they were going in and they were excited about the fact that they were ministering in the public school systems, and so they asked if our middle son would would go along, and uh, and he, he 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 agreed to it, so he did, and he came back at the end of the first the first time he went down, he said, Dad. They want us to teach character, but we can't even mention the name of Christ. What good does that do? 
and I looked at my 15-year-old son and, first of all, was very thankful for his alertness to that. What good is character without Christ? What good does it do for us to, to get all the, the outside clean and the inside full of dead man's bones? And, and uh, as time has progressed, that organization, that movement has continued to do things like that. Uh, and, uh, and now they're finding out that, that with all of, the, all of the things that they did on the outside, the inside has been full of dead men's bones. And, and this documentary uh, was blasting away. Now the difficulty is, is they were using the failures of this ministry to torpedo and to blast away at every vestige of the Christian faith. From, from the, the sovereignty of God, from, from the, the God's standards of, of righteousness, the, the, the Ten Commandments, the creation, anything that we believe, they were blasting away. But, they, but they, the door had been left open by our own failure. Now, the, the difficulty in this situation is it's easy for us to, to jump up and, oh, no, what are we, you know, we're going to we're going to condemn these people because they they messed up, and we're going to condemn these people because they're they're taking these pot shots, and so on and so forth. And we forget again that we have been the aberration. We are, we are not the norm. The last three hundred years is not the norm. This is this is not how things have gone for three hundred years or, or for for two thousand years. This has been a very interesting parenthesis. I've enjoyed it. Amen. It's been a wonderful it's been a wonderful time to be alive. Well, what do we do as we go forward? Our text this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning verse 8, says, Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The offspring of David has preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But, by the, word, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. As you well know, and as we have dealt with as we've gone through our study in 2 Timothy this year, Paul was sitting in a jail awaiting execution. Paul was not in the most wonderful of circumstances. When he was a boy dreaming of his life, this is not where he figured he would end up, okay? So what did he say? He's writing to Timothy from, from prison, awaiting execution. What is his word to Timothy? Timothy, go picket the palace. Let them know that this is not right. Become politically active. Petition the legislature. Riot in the streets. Cancel the opposition. Or become seeker sensitive in your church. Make sure that everybody appreciates what you stand for. Paul didn't say any of those things. What did he say? He said, remember Jesus Christ. The argument would come back, but I want to do something. I want to do something. But it's already done. Understanding Christianity 
is really the under, the, is understanding the difference between two words, do and done. Do and done. Everybody else wants to do something, we realize that it's already done. Our God is in control. Our God lives outside of time, and for him, everything is already accomplished. He knows the end from the beginning. But we don't like that. We don't like words like wait, trust, stand aside, rest, his will, do and done. Yesterday, my wife and I received a Facebook post from a family member, a distant family member, that is one of the most disturbing things I've ever heard in all my life. She uh, was going on about the importance of, of, uh, of uh, rules and laws and so on and so forth and, and, and used a term, I promise you, in my 72 years on this earth I had never heard before in reference to to theology. She talked about we should seek for the preferences of God. I don't get it either, okay? Uh, I haven't figured that one out quite yet. But the idea that she was trying to to, to put about is, is that we ought to be, you know, the idea is, well, you know, God will allow, but, but, but if you really want it all, you need to go after his preferences. And uh, I want to submit to you that there's a level of self-righteousness and, and so forth there that, 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 is, that is scary. We want to be able to have it right and have it and do something. And, and, and we just read in our, from, from Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, 31, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. Paul said, remember Jesus Christ. Remember that God is not sitting in the heavens, wringing his hands and saying, oh my goodness, what in the world is going on? I didn't figure this was going to happen, and what do I do now? Okay. God has everything under the control. We need to Learn what Nebuchadnezzar learned, that Babylonian king. We need to learn from him. He said in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, you remember the story, he had gotten all puffed up because he had been able to conquer the whole world and he was so great and mighty and powerful and so on and so forth that he built the big city of Babylon and, and, and they ruled the world. And he stood up one day and said, look what I've done. And God says, oh yeah, let me show you something. And the next thing you know, he was out uh, uh, not exactly living like a human, re- eating grass and, and so on and so forth. God finally got a hold of his heart and he says, at the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven 
and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Oh, my goodness, to understand what Nebuchadnezzar learned. God is sovereign. God is over everything. And then to understand Romans 8, 28, that says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It's difficult for us to understand sometimes when things don't go the way that we would like them to, that they are going for God's glory and for our good. We don't, we don't think about that. We don't think in, in, in those terms that those things don't compute. But it's important that we understand that the sovereignty of God is more than just a theoretical premise in our systematic theology. It is the key to our living at peace with God in the midst of a tumultuous world. If we're going to live at peace with God, if we're going to understand the doctrine of reconciliation, it is going to mean that we have come to, God has enabled us to come to him and to see the world through his eyes. Our 21st century conundrum for Paul, if Paul were living in the 21st century ministering now, and he was to look at his circumstances, he would say, well, I was once wealthy. I was popular. I was healthy. I didn't have this thorn in the flesh. I was ambitious. I was well respected by my peers. And I was extremely religious. But now, he stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. In the night and a day I drift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul was a 21st century televangelist. Why would he want to remember Jesus Christ? He had everything before. He has nothing now. But there's one thing that Paul was before Christ that trumped everything. He's lost and on his way to hell. You see... Mark 8.36, Jesus said it very eloquently when he said, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What good does it have for us to be wealthy? America has been blessed by God monetarily, uh, financially, and so on and so forth, as perhaps no other nation in the world has ever been blessed. What have we done with it? We've made a mess with it. But Paul recognized the fact, and he wrote in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, but for whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes to the law, 
But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul said, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. And I'm going to suggest to you this morning that that is the difference between reckoning between time and eternity. Oh, what a truth it is for us to begin to understand the world in eternity's values, with eternity's values in view. This whole world is going to pass away, and all that's in it is going to pass away. But Moses, when faced with this situation, we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. Living in hope of the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything from birth to death. I'm going to suggest to you that the words of the tombstone that somebody put on the back of a tombstone years ago are very eloquent and, and very, very needed today. Fellas said, remember, man, as you go by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so shall you be. Prepare yourself to follow me. Paul saw the world with eternity's values in view. Romans 8, 18, he said, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The fact that Christ is risen from the dead gives us a hope that we have in no other way. But he also says, risen from the dead, but he's the offspring of David. It's interesting, I believe, that what the, what the Apostle Paul is doing here, he's taking a look into the future because of the resurrection. I have the hope in the resurrection. But he also takes a look back at, at the Old Testament. My father was raised by Springerville, and I've talked about that before. And um, my grandfather uh, raised two sons, uh, five miles from the nearest neighbor, 25 miles from town, and 100 miles from the nearest railroad. They were out there, and that, and that ranch is still out there, okay? It is still in the middle of nowhere uh, to, to this day. There were things that, that my grandfather instilled into my father and his little brother very, at a very early age. One is, if you come across a rattlesnake, one of you dies, and try to make sure it's him. But one other one, and, and far more practical, is um, they were all over the hills and, and, and the valleys and so on and so forth. And my grandfather always taught my dad, when you come to the top of a hill, you always turn around and you look back to see what it looked like. So when you come back, you'll recognize it. And from that, we, we learn that sometimes it's important to look back as well as look forward. Okay? Paul looked forward with the, with the resurrection. But here, 
he looks back to David. And I'm going to suggest to you he used, uses David here simply as the representative of everything in the Old Testament. Christ fulfilled all of the promises of the Old Testament. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. David was the king. Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He looked at the Passover and he said, He is the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Paul knew because of where he'd come from, he knew where he was going, and that's the blessed hope. Here is the old time religion. Now, we have, that's an interesting phrase in our world, am I right? Not as much today as it was when I was young. When I was young, you know, we used to sing, give me that old time religion, give me that. And, and, uh, and, uh, and, and there was a whole lot, of, whole lot of emphasis on the old time religion. And, uh, and uh, uh, it had an impact on my life because down through the years I have, you know, there's, I have felt a tremendous need for continuity in what, what, what we believe. And, of course, one of the reason, biggest reasons I've come to Reformed Truth is to, when I found out that what I had been believing wasn't all that old, okay? It, it, was, it, was, it was a fairly, fairly new phenomenon. And uh, the old-time religion didn't jive. But much of America today and much of our world is like the Athenians of Acts chapter 7, verse 21. Now, all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that hasn't changed a lick, has it? We are constantly looking to find something new. Some new eschatology, some new soteriology, some new ecclesiology, some new theology for all that matters. If, if, it, it, if, it's, if, if it's not new, we don't want any part. Matter of fact, if, if it's been around more than a decade, we, we probably, yeah, probably don't, uh, don't want to deal with it here much anymore. Am I right? All we need to do to have the old-time religion in our world is find some ancient heretic that held to something. And uh, now he may have been proven to be a heretic over and over, but, but, but that's all right. You know, he, he's, uh, he's old. He's old. You know, that's the old-time religion. Uh, I got a thing on Facebook the other day from a young man that uh, was teaching Baptist history in his, in his church. And he was he was talking about a certain group, and and, and they're just plain heretics. There's, but but in order to, for the, for their uh, positions in Baptist, uh, you know, Baptist secession, so and so forth, they have to have those people. And so he's going on, and I and I finally I, I wrote to this guy and I said, Do you then believe that this doctrine that they held to is a Baptist distinctive? That was the end of that conversation. I've not heard from him since on any level. <laughs> Jude said, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our <clears throat> common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, uh, write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. The apostle Paul, looking forward to the resurrection, but he also looked back and laid claim to the promises given to Noah, the promises given to Abraham, the promises given to Moses, He claimed every sacrifice and every ceremony of the Old Testament as being fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he could trust the the resurrection because it was the completion of everything God had already done. This was his gospel. And in spite of being bound, the gospel was not bound. Sometimes we get the idea that if bad things happen uh, to the to the preaching uh, to, to to Christians, it's going to keep the gospel from going forward. My friend, if you study church history, you're going to find that that the the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And as as God's people have suffered, we have been able to be far more impactful. We don't impress the world by our bright shiny faces and our and our and, and how everything's going well for us. We impress the world when we sing praises to God in face of the flame or the sword. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And here all of a sudden theology bursts into doxology. Here's where the, where the promises of God break, uh, cause us to sing out praises to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord if we endure with him. Uh, uh, excuse me. Home with the Lord. Paul said, if we endure with him, we will also reign with him. And then he said, if we deny him, he will deny us. I stop and look at that because that's scary. Okay, It's scary because I know me. And I know that if any part of my salvation depends upon me, it isn't going to happen. Okay. But here we have the words, if we deny him, he will also deny us. I'm going to ask a question this morning. Is this a warning or a promise? If it's a warning, it's scary. But Jude also said, verse 24, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and dominion, majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Oh, wait a minute. It's not about me. It's about him. Okay? And so, and so all of a sudden, this is not a, a warning as much as it is a promise. Because God is the one who is, remains faithful in the midst of my... 
If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Wait a minute. If we are faithless, he... You mean, you mean God stays faithful even when I, when I, yeah, because he cannot deny himself. You see, if my salvation is altogether of God, then I can trust God to keep on working in my life no matter how many times I stumble, bumble, and fumble through life. For 300 years, we have enjoyed the material blessings of God. The Protestant work ethic, man does not work, he does not eat, has brought affluence and wealth to our nation. Throughout our, throughout our nation and the world, uh, benevolence has been greatly benefited by Christianity. You ever stop to think how many in the older, older cities, how many of the hospitals are Baptist hospital, Methodist hospital, Good Samaritan hospital? Because Christianity has been concerned with who is your neighbor. With all the cries for social justice in our world, I'm going to suggest to you that no nation has come closer to liberty and justice for all than our nation, even though we have been sadly lacking in some times. May I also suggest to you it's not getting any better as the ungodly take over. Missions go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I'm going to suggest to you that the gospel has not only created a higher standard of living here in our world, but wherever the gospel has gone, nations all around the world. Medical care, medical doctors, again, social justice. But all these things are just the residue of the blessing of God. Our commission is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes that's going to be in blessing, and sometimes that's going to be in suffering. Paul, awaiting death, giving a charge to Timothy. And Timothy did not know what was in front of him, and Paul did not know what was in front of Timothy either. He did not say, become politically astute. He did not say, do all you can to, keep the, to, 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 to win liberty and freedom. He said, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David. I may be bound, but the gospel is not bound. And I would suggest to you upon the authority of the word of God this morning, we need to remember Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I pray that you'll take the word of God.